set aside to search our hearts for the ways that we've fallen short and so that we can also get to know you through your word and through our conversations with you in prayer. Thank you for any time that you have come into our lives and helped us. We ask you to continue to do so as we, as we confess our sins to you and reach out to you for the good of ourselves and others. This closes this time of prayer. God, we do thank you for bringing us here today. Good, good morning, everyone. Thank you for being here. We ask you to watch over us as we continue to approach you, God, in prayer. And I ask you, God, to please watch over Kevin as he seeks your word and how to preach it to us. May he be filled with your spirit as he does so. God, we thank you for those who are with us today that are in need of prayer, which actually means all of us, but especially those who are sick and in need. And again, this time of prayer is not the only time that we, uh, other people here are available to be prayed with. So Kevin's offer of prayer is for the entire service and after. And good morning, everyone, again. Thank you for the announcements. Um, as is normal, we have things going on in the coming weeks here at Wheatland, and here are some of them. Um, notice this weekend, for those of you who are engaged in Alpha or would like to start being engaged in Alpha, there is a special weekend of uh, sessions going on this weekend. Um, Friday night and Saturday morning will be focused on the Alpha's teaching on the Holy Spirit, and mostly that's just a, uh, the teaching involves getting us to talk to each other and engage in God's word on, this, on the subject. Um, notice there's also a prayer and fellowship dinner uh, this following Tuesday. Next one, next Tuesday. Thank you. Um, and then you'll see the other announcements where the, we have a worship night uh, coming up. We have a Good Friday service coming up after that. And note that the Easter service will be two services, 9 and 11. Um, pick your service. It won't be this one. <laughs> 10 o'clock is not available. <laughs> um, I guess at this point, uh, you guys can go. If you're ready to go downstairs, you want to stay, just stay. But uh, Children's Church is dismissed. Junior Church, thank you. Man, I'm stumbling over my words big time today. Uh, this morning, Kevin will be continuing his sermon on series on the book of Mark. Uh, today, we'll be uh, finishing up chapter 7 and beginning chapter 8. And I will read the following. This is God's word. Starting in Mark chapter 7, verse 24, if you want to. Yeah, it's already up. Thank you. He, being Jesus, got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing him, a woman whose daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was, ask, she was asking him to cast out the demon of her from her, out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When he went back to her home, when she went back to her home, she found her child lying in the bed, and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by the way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, through the region of the Decapolis. They brought him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hands on him. So he took him away from the crowd in, a pri into, in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to them, Ephathia, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. 
They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Yeah, they came to Bethsaida. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hands on the man's eyes. The man looked intently, and his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home, saying, Don't even go into the village. Thanks, Aaron. Appreciate it. All right. So, um, yeah, we've got a few scriptures that we're going to look at today. Some interesting stories. Um, who would, who's here that would say that Thomas Edison was a failure? Anybody would say that? Okay. From a certain point of view, right? Certainly. Um, there, there's, you know, different uh resources will say different uh, things, right? Some would say that he failed a thousand times. He himself said, I may have failed 10,000 times, but I have learned how not to make a light bulb 10,000 ways. Um, and, and I love that kind of a perspective, right? Isn't that good? He, he faced many difficulties. He faced many problems, trials, tests. He probably exhausted himself in his research, and yet he wasn't deterred. And yet he kept going. And he wasn't going to let failure keep him from his ultimate goal. And how about for us in our faith? How about for that problem that's in your way? How about that doubt that you can't shake, that sin that hangs on? What are you doing with it? Are you, are you crushed under the weight of it? Are you allowing it to have mastery over you, or are you taking it to God again and again and again? Um, I hope we, uh, that and maybe a few other lessons are some that we're going to look at today as we get into the scripture today. So we have some strange conversations and uh, methodology of how Jesus uh, goes about performing miracles here in these three stories. So here's where we're at. We've got three today that we're going to look at. Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, Jesus and the deaf and mute man, and Jesus and the blind man. And the reason why we skipped in Mark chapter 8 is because it fit very thematically. So when we get to that uh, in the future, we'll, we'll just jump over it. It actually works nicely because it's a standalone story anyways in the Gospel of Mark. And so um, we have the luxury of doing that in this case. Um, although we have to be, always have to be careful and vigilant whenever we want to just jump texts and things like that to understand it in its context. So first, Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. Let's read again from chapter 7, verses 24 down to 30. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. So we come to this passage, and we understand that this is an unusual communication style for Jesus. Right? We, we, don't, we don't find him communicating like this very often. Um, this is one of maybe two instances in all of the Gospels that I can point to where you kind of go to it, and you're like, oh, that doesn't, that doesn't feel like Jesus. Right? Calling someone essentially a dog, which was not a, an endearing, it wasn't like a little puppy, cute little cuddly puppy. They, these were wild animals that roamed around and, you know, and weren't actually too readily in homes. Um, was it, did, he, did Jesus have a bad day? Jesus, Jesus woke up on the wrong side of the bed. He didn't get much sleep last night. A little cranky. Yeah, he forgot his cup of coffee. I mean, right, was he, was he just selfish? 
you know, did he have something against Syrophoenicians? Did he get caught up in the cultural animosity against this people group? Was it just that this woman was being annoying? Because as we're going to see in Matthew's gospel, she kept on crying out to the point where the disciples were like, send her away, Jesus. And, and I think we know the answer to all those questions. No. <laughs> no, that was not the case. Jesus did not have a sin nature. Jesus was literally incapable of sinning, being God. And so he could not have had any of those thoughts or feelings, and he did not in, in any sort of a rude or um, any sort of a way that was sinful communicate to her. So we must head into this story with the knowledge of Jesus, right? Who he is, God, incarnate, in the flesh. We also have to understand what he's done. We, we, we've looked at the Gospel of Mark and how he's had compassion on people. Remember the multitudes when he came to shore? He was exhausted and they came to him. He just wanted some time off. And what did he do? He had compassion because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so certainly his demeanor towards this woman was not one of like, oh, this wretched woman, why won't she leave me alone? You dog, get out of here. That was not at all his heart or his attitude. Let us be careful not to read that into the text. His heart, rather, was especially towards people who were broken, who were marginalized, who were downtrodden in life, especially towards the humble. We also see in John chapter 4 how in times Jesus would specifically go out of his way to go towards people who were marginalized in society, who were cast away and thought of nothing, thought of less. The Samaritans were a people group that the Jews hated. And likewise, they hated the Jews. There was incredible tension there. But yet Jesus specifically went to this woman. And not just any old woman, a very, very well-known sinful woman. And he brought dignity and worth and the message of the gospel, his very life and salvation to her. So what is Jesus doing here? What is he doing with this Syrophoenician woman? Ultimately, we don't know. <laughs> we, we don't know why exactly it is that Jesus had this kinds of a, kind of a conversation with her. We don't know the, the mind of Jesus, right? But I think it would be helpful to propose a couple ideas that seem likely based on the text. And what I want us to do is I actually want us to go to the Matthew text because Matthew's gospel gives us a little more detail than Mark does here. And I think it'll be helpful to set some extra context, which I think helps us to appreciate what exactly Jesus is doing, and what's the lesson for us in this text. So Matthew chapter 15, I'll have it on the screen, but if you want to turn there, Matthew 15, starting in verse 21. And let's just go ahead and read that. Sorry for all the repetitive reading of Scripture, but let's not apologize for reading Scripture. So here's Matthew's account of this story. Wyatt, can you click them for me? Because I don't know where, where I, how to click. All right, when Jesus left there, he withdrew to the area of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came and kept crying out, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely tormented by a demon. Jesus did not say a word to her. His disciples approached him and urged him, Send her away because she's crying out after us. He replied, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He answered, it isn't right to take, to, the to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus replied to her, woman, your faith is great. Let it be done for you as you want. And from that moment, her daughter was healed. Notice how Jesus seems to intentionally put obstacles in her way. Right? At first, it comes from the, the passive-aggressive approach, which I, I shouldn't say that, applying that to Jesus, but like he, is, he ignores her. He stays silent. He doesn't address her. He doesn't seem to notice her. He just keeps on walking. As she's crying out, he did not say a word to her. Why? Again, we don't know, but... What, what does the text indicate might be likely? The disciples, maybe picking up on, on Jesus' nonverbal cues, are saying, yeah, Jesus, come on, just tell her to get out of here. 
We got places to go. We got people to go. You know, we, we've, we've got to, you know, we need some alone time or whatever it was. So the disciples were also putting pressure on Jesus. And then he turns to her, though. And he tells her, I was only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Her not being a Jew, she was a Gentile. Jesus said, well, this is my mission. My mission is to go to the people of Israel. I'm, I'm their Messiah. I, that, they're, my, they're my focus. Now, was he being entirely truthful there? Uh, yes, but not also, right? He was telling her in context that, what is he doing? He's, he's challenging her. He's putting an obstacle in her way, theologically, mentally, culturally, socially, and seeing how she's going to respond and react. And how did she respond? She didn't go away discouraged. She didn't turn away and say, oh, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm no good. I don't, you don't have time for me. Um, she said, no, I'm going to, I don't believe that that's true. And she, she knelt before him and, he, and she, she cries out, Lord, help me. What a great prayer. Isn't this a great prayer, church? When you don't know what to say, when you, don't, when you feel like God is ignoring you, when you feel like God's, you're hitting a wall, your prayers are just, you ever feel that way, right? I've heard, I've talked to some of you who've said, I feel like my prayers are hitting a wall. Like, like they don't get past the ceiling. Like, where's God? Is he listening? And she very well may have felt something like this. She may have almost felt rejected in this way, but she's like, but no, I heard about this Jesus, and he's done incredible things for other people. I want him to do it for me. She probably didn't know the whole story. She probably didn't understand everything about Jesus being the Messiah, being God, certainly. She probably didn't know it all, right? But she knew something that this Jesus had that, that, she, could, that she could have that she wanted. So she simply said, Lord, help me. And so church, when you don't know what to pray, when you feel like words escape you in your mind, just simply turn to the Lord and say, Lord, help me. And then he might throw another obstacle in your way. Because Jesus did. It isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now here, here's where it gets really dicey, isn't it? It isn't right to take the children's bread, referring to Israel, and throw it to the dogs, referring to the Gentiles. And still she persevered. Yes, Lord, she said, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. What, what's the attribute here that she's displaying? Many, many attributes, but essentially humility. Right? She's, she, she's coming to God, Jesus Christ, God the Son. She's coming to him in a spirit of, I am unworthy, but I know you have unlimited power. And again, she didn't know it all, but she knew something of his power that, that, she, that he could give her. And she came to him with that spirit. And what is it that we know about God as it relates to humility? When we come to him with a humble spirit, what is it that, that the word says? What does he do to those who have a humble spirit? He gives what? Grace. And what is grace? It's the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. It is the, it is the gifts of God. It is the blessings of God. It is, it is when he wants to pour out upon his children. It is when there's the spirit of humility. There's that spirit of, oh God, I know I don't deserve this. I am unworthy. I am a dog. But oh God, that you would just give me a crumb. Because you, you, you have more than enough bread. See, Jesus wasn't being derogatory towards her. He was testing her to see where she was at. And he was inviting her to not see his words as obstacles, but as opportunities. Some of you are really into hiking, right? Hiking season coming up, right? Some of you guys haven't finished your uh, 46, is it, peaks? 49, what is it? How many peaks are there? 46. All right, I'm a fake hiker. No, um, I like I like a good little easy stroll on Menden Ponds Park. But um, no, so um, some of you guys are going to be hiking soon, right? It's that season, and there's there's a bunch of different styles of hikes, right? There's the nice easy going path that some of us like to take. That are it's easy, it's gradual, it's simple. There's some bends in the road. There's maybe a few tree roots grown up or along the path, but for the most part, you get to your destination, and it was a comfortable 
walk up to the mountain. And you get there, and you're like, ah, oh, nice view, nice walk. I'm going to go back. And, and, you, and you did it, and you completed it. And you can feel good about that, right? But come on, those of you who've, who've hiked those more challenging paths, right, where there's, um, there's maybe the, the trail isn't very kept very well, and maybe there's some decent-sized boulders that you've got to you got to kind of go like this, right, and get your hands, and maybe you got to work together to hoist each other up, and it's really challenging, and it's strenuous, and you're not sure that you're going to quite make it, right? I can tell. Some of you guys, you guys are like, yeah, 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 you didn't make it, you know, right? And th- that's a, and what is it, though, when you make it up to the top from that kind of a, from that kind of a trail, what's the experience? It's a little more enjoyable, isn't it? It's a little bit more fulfilling, and what do you have in you now? a lot more confidence or faith, if you will, a lot more courage to keep going and maybe do the next one, the more difficult one. And so we ought not to view these obstacles in life as obstacles, but rather as opportunities to grow, to take the challenge that God gives us of life, whether that is a a relationship that's just difficult or a work situation that's distressful, a financial situation, whatever, whatever the situation is in your life that's difficult or challenging that you're, you're finding yourself just, how am I going to get through this? How am I going to seek God in this? God, what are you doing? It's a health crisis maybe, whatever it might be. When we approach it the way this woman did, And we say, I don't care about my circumstances. I need the grace of God. See, she was humble, but she was tenacious. Don't don't associate humility with, with weakness or mildness. No, no, no. You can be humble and passionate and bold and confident. Because that's what she was. She had a spirit of boldness and courage to go to Jesus in a, in a maybe even culturally inappropriate way, to just almost demand, give me grace, show me mercy, do this thing for me. And Jesus honors her bold persistence. I love, uh, you know, there's, there's maybe, there's, I, don't know, I don't know how you feel about Liberty University and Jerry Falwell, that's a controversial topic maybe for some, but I love his quote. Um, I, I was blessed to, to be there and have a lot of great teaching and studying. Uh, one of his quotes that stuck with me was he said, you do not determine a man's greatness by his talent or wealth as the world does, but rather by what it takes to discourage him. And I really love that quote because it's entirely true. What makes someone great? Well, Jesus makes someone great. But it, in, in, in our lives, greatness comes from pressing through adversity, from not losing faith because of trials or challenges or difficulties that come, but rather keep on going, putting one foot in front of the next, and then, you know what, another challenge is going to be right around the corner, and you know what, you, you, you keep blasting through them. And sometimes, sometimes you're going to be left limping. Sometimes you're going to be left bloody a little bit, maybe a broken bone. You're going to come out of some of those trials battered and beaten and discouraged, and you're going to want to turn back and go down to the bottom of the hill. But God is inviting us to continue to persevere, to not allow negativity, which is really just an interpretation of of, of events or people, to be a motivation killer. Right? Because, you know, if you're like me, negativity really gets you down. I, I, I am overly sensitive. Just naturally speaking, I am an, I'm an incredibly self-conscious person. So when I come in, in contact with negativity, it deeply discourages me. And so this is something really helpful for me this week, to, to engage with this, to say, no, I am not going to allow situations or any kind of negativity, whether that's from my situations, relationships, whatever it might be, to get me down, to allow me to stop. But I'm going to keep pressing on. So the point of this first story, I believe, and I think this is what Jesus, one of the lessons at least that Jesus was trying to do, is let's not get discouraged because life gets hard. 
because trials stand in our way. And even, even our perception of God, even when our perception of God seems to be against us, let's not give up because we need to go back to what we know is true. Again, this woman might not have had all the answers, but she knew that Jesus could do it. She knew Jesus could deliver her daughter. And so she kept on fighting because of the truth that she had of what Jesus could do and who he was. And so don't get discouraged if you feel like God's not listening to your prayers. Don't get discouraged if you feel like, God, when's the answer? God, what are you doing? Why am I going through this? Persevere. Jesus doesn't make things easy specifically because he loves you. If everything was easy for your life, I would say, boy, maybe, maybe God's not very involved in my life. If life is too easy, then that almost suggests that, you know, that, that God's almost hands off a little bit because he disciplines those he loves. Either that or you're just not listening to the Holy Spirit and you're ignoring his discipline, which you can only do for so long. So he loves us, therefore he gives us these obstacles, or we should say opportunities, to grow and pursue him more. So what do we do with this story? What's the application? First, it's an intellectual application. We believe what is true of God. We believe what is true of him. We understand that, that he rewards boldness and persevering prayer. That he responds to humility. He gives grace to the humble. And he resists the proud. That, that, I believe, is one of the most important practical truths that we need to appropriate into our lives. So that's first. It's an it's a, it's a intellectual application. We have to believe what's true of God. We have to appropriate those truths, then, into persevering prayer, which is the practical. And this, this is where I think many of us struggle. We, we, we have the knowledge. Okay, yeah, I know. Yeah, Jesus saves. He saved me. I praise God for that. That's awesome. He can do anything. We intellectually know a lot about God. But do we allow it to translate into our lives through our praying, through the way that we ourselves love people and pursue people in the gospel, in the love of Jesus Christ? Are we bold with other people about, you've got to know Jesus? Or do we get quickly discouraged by, uh, nah, I'm not too interested. Let us not get discouraged, church. Let us persevere. Let us be bold and courageous because God can do all things. He can do whatever he desires to do. And so therefore, we seek him. And let's seek him well. So that's the story of the Syrophoenician woman. Now let's turn our attention back to Mark chapter 7. In this second story of, uh, of uh, interesting... These next two stories aren't so much... Jesus, the interesting dynamic from Jesus' uh, verbal communication with the person that he heals, but rather his methodology in healing, uh, which is maybe where we're especially focused on as far as application. Okay, so from back to Mark here, verse 31. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Okay, so going back to uh, verse 31, uh, who, who's they, uh, verse 32 rather, who's they? They brought to him a deaf man. Uh, well, they is probably family and friends, right? The, the people of the region where Jesus was now. And notice, notice that they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. Okay, so, so here's the real question. What's up with this? What's, what, what's up with the, this, this methodology? Because what we've seen mostly from Jesus in the Gospel of Mark so far is he speaks and they're healed. 
right? He says, yeah, you're, be healed, and boom, they're healed instantly. Why didn't, just, why didn't Jesus just do that? Why, why, the, why the spitting, <laughs> right? You know, for, from us, 2,000 years later, like we, in a different culture context, that's kind of weird to us. We can say it. That's okay. We're not being irreverent here. We're just saying that that feels weird to us, right? Put his fingers in the man's ears. I mean, okay. <laughs> I mean, he, he is deaf, so there is a physical dynamic to that. And I think that is part of the potential point of this, of what Jesus is doing with touching. And specifically, like we, we just dis- discussed, the crowds asked him, Jesus, to touch the man. And I wonder if sometimes that's the way God works, is he meets us where we're at slash where we can receive him or in, in a way that, that makes sense to us. In some way, we don't know, but maybe they needed, maybe this man specifically needed a physical touch. And maybe it was the specific touch of the ears and the tongue. Maybe that ministered to him in some special, unique, mysterious way maybe. That, that we don't know. Touch has power, doesn't it? And we are created to be physical people. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm not a huge huggy kind of guy, right? But, you know, a good handshake and even an occasional hug is good. I, I need that. It, it's, it's special to have that. So first, Jesus takes him away from the crowd in private. And I wonder, why is it that he did that? And a possible note here is that sometimes the power of God in our lives is meant for the whole world to see, so to speak. Maybe it's meant for us to plaster on social media. Maybe it's meant for, you know, a big, large crowd to be like, wow, that's incredible what Jesus did. And everyone gives glory and praise to God. And sometimes maybe it's just for one or two or three to see. And either way, whether it's for the world or whether it's just for one, God receives glory and it's good. And so in this situation, Jesus wanted to take him away from the crowd and do this thing in private. It's, not, it's almost like Jesus is also saying here, it's not about the masses, it's not about the crowd, it's not about the, the show, it's about you. It's about you specifically. I care for you, Jesus is saying. And so again, we come to this question, why is it that Jesus put his fingers in the man's ears and, and spit and then touched the man's tongue? Again, we know that Jesus could have just spoken and the man would have been healed. Some have, again, suggested it was for the benefit of the, of the man receiving the healing, right? It could have been uh, that Jesus was meeting him where he was at. But the point is, sometimes Jesus wants to work in one way. Sometimes Jesus wants to work in a mysterious way in a way that we don't understand. And Jesus is not bound to our reasoning. Jesus can work however he wants. Jesus can work however he wants. Indeed, sometimes he works in ways that totally surprise us. And we're just kind of like, well, that was kind of strange. Or that, that's interesting. And it, throw, it throws us off even. Sometimes Jesus uses the megaphone preacher on the street corner. Repent! And sometimes he uses the soft-spoken friend. Sometimes he uses miraculous healing at a crusade. And sometimes he uses a doctor or a diet or a lifestyle change. Sometimes he uses the church that has the booming music, the fog machines, the lights, everything's rocking, no windows, it's all dark, and, you know, and you're, you're really rocking out and all that kind of stuff. The preacher's really cool. He's got the, he got the tight jeans on and the cool shoes. Thanks, Blake. I know. I've got, I'm rocking some sweet style right now. I know. Um, sometimes, right, God uses what the world would say is hip and cool and awesome and great and flashy. And sometimes God uses this. <laughs> Although I got to say, our worship team was on. I mean, our worship team's always on. But, but sometimes God uses maybe something that the world might look at and be like, oh, okay, well, that's okay. 
So let's not think that anything is too strange or foolish or weak for God to use. I was just reading uh, the book of 1 Corinthians uh, earlier, um, where, where Paul says that God uses the weak things to shame uh, the, those who are strong. He uses the foolish things to shame those who are wise, who say they're wise. So let's not think that anything is too strange or crazy or weak or awkward for God to use to draw people to himself. Lastly, Jesus says here, um, actually, no, Jesus doesn't say it. The people say it. They were extremely astonished and says, he has done everything well. Well, <laughs> what is it that he has done everything? What is it that he's done well? Certainly in the Gospel of Mark here, it seems like the people are referring to his healing and his teaching. That seems to be, up until this point of Mark, what the main focus has been on. Jesus heals in amazing ways, and he teaches with authority and power. And it's awesome. It's great. But for us, there's one more thing that Jesus has done exceedingly well, more than what we could have ever reasonably asked for. He's saved us. We understand. We, we get to look back on the whole life of Jesus. And we get to see everything that he has done and the primary purpose for his coming, which was to save sinners from sin. And he has done it well. He hasn't done a half job. He didn't just do it like I sometimes do my construction projects around the house, where it's like, well, good enough. <laughs> That's been Jennifer and I's mantra over the years. Good enough. <laughs> Looks pretty good. And not really. We, we try to do a good job. But, but you know, we're, we are not perfect at our attempts at anything. But Jesus accomplished what he accomplished absolutely, entirely, perfectly. With no flaw, with no problem, there, there, there's no loophole. It is entirely and completely finished in Jesus Christ. And he gives an open and free invitation to any and all who would receive it. It's his grace, once again. And it's the same principle that we saw with the Syrophoenician. Who can receive Jesus' salvation? It's whosoever. Whosoever will. Whosoever desires to receive it. If you want to have a relationship with God, you can have it through Jesus Christ. He died for you so that you could live with him forever. I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it in uh, Ephesians chapter 2. It's one of the primary texts concerning the salvation of God because it starts out by saying in the first three verses, you were dead spiritually. You were dead in your sin. You were enemies of God. You had no hope of relationship with God because of your sin. It completely and entirely separated you from relationship with God to the point where all you had looked for, to look forward to was eternal damnation. But God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. Even while we were dead in this condition, while we were enemies of God, Jesus said, but I love them and I want them to be with me forever. And it says, you are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him, resurrection, because Jesus, as Jesus was raised, so are we spiritually to new life. We are a new creation. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Do you know where you are right now in Christ Jesus? In the eternal nature of God, because he doesn't live inside of time and space like we do. Right now, in a sense, you are seated with God in Jesus Christ. That's your position in Jesus Christ. You are there with God from his point of view. That's what it's saying. Your identity is completely changed so that now you are seated with God. So that in the coming ages, he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness in Jesus Christ. For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is God's gift. Not from works so that no man can boast. That is what Jesus has done very well. He has saved us very well completely, totally by his power. And we rejoice in that. Let us say with these people, he has done everything well, especially saving us. Isn't that 
good. Isn't that amazing? I was looking at that scripture in the Psalms where it says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord proclaim it. Church, we've been redeemed by God. We've been bought into relationship with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Let us proclaim it. Like the Syrophoenician, let us go with boldness to the throne of God. Uh, lastly, lastly, let's look at the story in Mark chapter 8. We are going to look at um, the first two sections of Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000 and then Jesus teaching on the leaven of the Pharisees and, and all of that uh, next week. But for now, I want us to go here because of the thematic connection. So once again, um, verses 22 to 26, they came to Bethsaida, they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Once again, we see the, the, the same theme. He took the blind man by the hand and brought him out of the village. Spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? He looked up and he said, I see people. They look like trees walking. Again, Jesus placed his hand on the man's eyes. The man looked intently and his sight was restored and he saw everything clearly. Then he sent him home saying, don't even go into the village. A really interesting story here. And this story is very similar but unique to the last story in one particular way, which will be our emphasis uh, to close the service here. And that is that sometimes Jesus wants to work gradually and sometimes Jesus works all at once. You're like, okay, Kevin, yeah, that's Captain Obvious. Thanks, I could get that from the text here. Well, let's, let's really follow that to the conclusions. And oh, how we do not like this point. Don't we moan and groan at this wretched point? But ought we to moan and groan at it? At any principle of God's word? No, God forbid. Let us take the lessons that we've mentioned in the first story, that Jesus is not a servant to our comfort, that he is... is quick to give us obstacles to overcome. And he is seeking, first and foremost, to build our faith, to build perseverance up within us. That Jesus has that as his intention. Not your personal comfort and, and ease of life, which is the American way. Don't we all want ease and comfort and peace and all these things? It's too easy to want that. But that's never, God never calls us to that. I mean, do you think the disciples had a great time as, as it relates to, you know, natural circumstances? As they were being beaten and imprisoned, shipwrecked, and mistreated, and slandered, and so on and so on. We are not, exactly, God's about building character. He's about leading us into perseverance. So specifically, we should think about the gradual nature by which the Spirit of God converts a man or a woman. I think this story has, especially, it has spiritual implications, right? Certainly, God can physically bring along someone towards full health, and he does that. We, some of you have, have seen that in your own life, where you've had some sort of an ailment or a problem or a challenge physically, and it wasn't, boom, healed overnight. But it was a gradual process where, oh, I feel much better now. It might have been a small thing or it might have been a big thing. So surely it has implications in the physical realm, but it does so in the spiritual realm as well. See, very rarely will God, I shouldn't say very rarely, I don't know, God knows, but as far as from my perspective, very rarely have I seen God come into a person's life like a flood so that the person is completely overwhelmed in an instant and, okay, God and they worship and, they, and they're obedient and they're fully following him and trusting in God, from going from spiritual death to life in an instant and complete passion and complete change and they're totally on fire. That happens for sure. That might be some of your story. Most of our stories, at least in conversation that I've had with most of you, it was a little bit of a gradual process, wasn't it? I praise God for when, it, when he comes in like a flood and just totally overwhelms a person. But sometimes, let's not underestimate a good stew, right? A good crock pot meal, right? Come on. 
Paul, I saw Paul with the crockpot coming in. Young adults will be eating good today. Um, right? Let's not un- underestimate a good crockpot. Right? If you're hosting somebody and you're to put everything together, put the, the meat in, potatoes, carrots, the, the, the broth, right? the seasonings, and then five minutes later, oh, take your ladle out, here you go, and give it to your guest with the raw meat and the crunchy potatoes and the seasonings that haven't taken flavor yet, they'd be like, well, I don't know about this. Thanks. Right? I mean, it wouldn't be... It, why? Because it's not done yet. It's not, it's not quite there yet. And God, I think, sometimes works spiritually that way. He doesn't work in a microwave always. Sometimes he does. But sometimes he's like, you know what? We're just going gonna, gonna to put some seasoning in. We're going to let this simmer. Right? So, you know, someone maybe gets a friend invites them to church or something like that, and they, they hear something about God, and they're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And then a few years later, someone comes to them and shares with them the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they're like, oh, that's really interesting. I'll have to think about that more. And then a few years later go on, and, and maybe they find themselves in some sort of a situation where they're like, oh, I wonder if God has something to say. Let me open up my Bible. And you see the Holy Spirit of God just working slowly in someone's life through different people and through different events. And maybe that's some of you even here this morning. Not only was that your story, but maybe that is still your story that's unfolding. I mean, aren't we all in process? And I think that's part of what the story also speaks to as well, which we'll get to in a minute. But maybe some of you are here right now and you're like, yeah, I kind of feel like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, the stew's not quite done yet. I'm still, the jury's out on God. I don't know if I'm quite there in relationship with God yet. And that's okay. The important thing is that you have a humble heart before God. You are open to what he says and his truth. And you come to him and you say, God, would you speak to me? God, would you show me who you are? Because you better believe God wants to, right? And if you have the attitude and the spirit of God, would you show me? Would you teach me? Would you help me? Don't you think he will? I mean, what good father in life when their, when their son comes up to them and says, hey, dad, can you teach me how to throw a football? Right? No, no, later. You know, or no, you learn on your own. Right? Well, no. Yeah, let's get off the football. I mean, maybe not right there if you're in the middle of something, but like certainly within the, you know, the short window of time, right? You want to, your, your son comes to you and wants to learn something or wants to grow in some way or wants something from you. Boy, yeah, you want to try to try to give them what they're asking for. So it is like with God. So don't give up. Don't give up your pursuit because things might seem strange or maybe you haven't quite arrived yet to where you think you should be or, or whatever. Things take time. So let's be patient and, not, and continue to trust the timing of God and the methodology of God. Secondly, um, here on this text, I think we are also to see ourselves in a spiritual sense as this blind man that we ourselves are in the second condition of the blind man out of the three conditions, right? He started out as blind, and then he came to be to see, but not clearly, and then he was able to see clearly. And in an eternal sense, in the eternal context of life, we're in that second stage, aren't we? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, But then, later, when we're with God face-to-face, Paul says, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, as I am fully known. So, some strange lessons for us today from Jesus. Some unique stories, some interesting methods and communication styles today from Jesus. But let us remember to take these lessons, chew on them for a little while, and ask ourselves, God, where am I in perseverance? Where am I in my trust of your work in my life and in other people's lives? Let us remember that the wisdom and ways of God are not our ways. Sometimes we look at things in the scriptures, or we look at life, and we're like, God, what are you doing? That seems weird, or where are you? Or all these different things. We're looking at these obstacles in the way and we, we tend to want to doubt God sometimes. But let us be like that Syrophoenician woman who wouldn't take no for an answer. 
who wouldn't allow her heart to get discouraged, but rather said, no, I, I know this about God. He's, Jesus is this way. He's able to do it. I'm going to keep pursuing him. So don't give up. You might feel like God's ignoring you. You might feel like there are too many roadblocks. You may have reasonable excuses even why you should give up, by, by human standards, that is. But has God actually failed you? Is God aloof? What does the scripture say? It says, draw near to God, and what? He, he will draw near to you. The scripture says, ask, and you will find. Or ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Those sound like invitations to me. Those, sounds like, those sound like, yeah, I am here. I am ready to come into your life. I am ready to show grace. I am ready to pour my love and my grace into your life. If you would just keep asking and keep coming, don't, don't allow for the roadblocks or the hindrances to become that, but rather see them as opportunities to persevere. So God is faithful to fulfill all of his promises. All promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. So let's trust in him. And let's commit our hearts to him even right now in prayer. God, we thank you for this time of opening up your word and considering these maybe a little bit of unique stories. They're outliers, certainly, to Jesus, your ministry on this earth. But we're so thankful for them because they speak to us in a, in a different way. God, that we can't put you in a box. You don't just do things the same way or the way that we think you should do them. Your wisdom is beyond us. Your ways are beyond us. And Lord, help us to trust you. When we can't make sense of life, when we can't make sense of you, God, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our ears. Uh, make us to be sensitive to your spirit. And oh God, would you give us perseverance. Oh, how we need that. God, give us courage and give us boldness to come before you and, and ask like this woman did with full confidence and assurance that, that you will give it to us. And then, God, we get to sit back and just watch and see how you bless. And it might be today, it might be tomorrow, it might be next week, it might be a year from now, it might not be until we get to heaven. But, God, you will work and you will do and accomplish all that you set out to do. And so we trust you and we thank you for your power at work in our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.